Welcome to episode 17. Uh, first, a couple of announcements. Uh, nothing really special, actually, but uh, I got a new desk here, which is really exciting for me. Got a Herman Miller Renew desk, uh, which is basically my core of my workstation here, right at home. So uh, it's a sit-stand desk, so that's a big thing, being able to stand during the day. Um, also got a mount for my mic and the shock sensor and the pop filter and all that good stuff. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, pretty minor, but kind of a big deal for me. Um, pretty excited about it. Probably post some pictures at some point. So, uh, moving on to the news, uh, there was a new SSL vulnerability that was uh, discovered earlier in the week and uh, the patch was released and everything and basically allowed people to spoof legitimate uh, certificate authorities. Uh, the good news is that you already had to be in the middle. So that was kind of a major mitigating factor. That's why it wasn't a, uh, a major deal like a lot of the other vulnerabilities last year. Um, want to talk about uh, a project that I saw recently. So I do a, uh, one of the leaders for the Bay Area OWASP uh, meetup group here in the Bay Area. And uh, been having a couple of meetings, one at Twitter and one at uh, Netflix last week. And uh, the Netflix one, it was actually, you know, an auditorium. We had like 200 people there and we did three talks. And one of the talks was this um, about this new tool uh, by a guy named Scott. And uh, I got it on the site if you want to check it out. I did a separate blog post about it. But um, the tool is called Sleepy Puppy. And uh, it was pitched as a blind cross-site scripting tool, right? Where um, basically you have this problem of like if you're attacking a user um, what they were saying, and they didn't name blind cross-site scripting, but they were using a name from a Black Hat talk uh, several years ago. And um, the idea is that in blind cross-site scripting, unlike regular, you don't get to see the payload get detonated. And uh, so they, they created a listener, basically, a server-side listener that captures the payloads as they come in when they get detonated. And it, it was it was really cool. I mean, the project is just phenomenal. And uh, I told him so at the end of the QA. But I also mentioned that blind cross-site scripting is actually just a really bad name because they're confusing it with blind cross-site or blind SQL injection, right? In, in regular SQL injection, the attacker does see output. Okay, and that's why it's different from blind SQL injection because there you don't see the output. In cross-site scripting, when you're attacking a user, you don't see the output. You don't see whatever pop up. That's not the way it works. It goes out of band and comes to you somewhere else. Usually where you have a listener waiting for it via an image request or whatever trick you're using, but it's always blind. So it's just, it's just a bad name. And I told him he was basically selling the project short because um, 
what we really have here uh, with this project and what I recommend they rename it uh, at least as a tagline for is um, cross-site scripting payload management system, right? It, what they're doing, and, and this is the way I recommended that they start pitching the use of it is um, for an internal company, like they work at Netflix and that's why they made it. So it makes sense. Um, it's a good use case. So basically imagine you just, you know, shotgun this application that you built, even if it's in production or whatever, you shotgun it full of these cross-site scripting payloads. And the, the other cool thing about their project is they actually tag the payloads. So you could tell like what campaign it's part of, like why you did what you did. It's got markers basically. And um, so you just shotgun every single input field and, you know, ingress into the application. And some of them come back immediately, but you have this persistent listener. This is the framework. This is the payload manager framework, right? So some of them come back immediately, right? Which is your, your classic attack example. But some of them go off to databases or key value stores or whatever. They get stored in documents, wherever they go. And the cool thing is they can listen there for weeks or months and then just have this constant trickle of stuff coming in. And some of the people popping these payloads are users. Some of the people doing it are like admins or whatever, unprivileged users, regular users. But they're sitting there getting this constant flow of data back from the app. And that could be first order, second order, you know, whatever. And nth order, like multiple steps of a workflow executed with various different user types all coming into this listener framework. And the cool thing about their tool um, is it has a lot of attribution information. It tells you about the detonation it, as much as it can, right? It gives you a screenshot, tells you who the user was, what part of the page they were in, like sends cookies if it can, like all these different things, right? So it's a really cool project. Um, and I also did a you know, I submitted an issue for them, an enhancement issue, and sort of wrote it up for them. Um, also did a blog post on it, but definitely go check the project out. Um, just put a Sleepy Puppy XSS um, into Google and you should get it back as the first result. Um, also did a blog post just now, uh, a few minutes ago, on Troy Hunt's tech presentation advice. So he's done two posts. First one was anti-patterns, uh, which was basically saying things to avoid, like don't read from your slides, don't whatever, stay behind your podium. And he had like 10 of those and that was pretty cool. Um, and it, it was, he said it was successful. So he did another one. Um, and the other one was like things you should do. And he did like 20 of those points. So I just did a post that kind of captured all of them. And then I talked about um, what I liked about them and what my favorite ones were. And importantly, uh, I didn't reproduce what he did because his are like multiple paragraphs on each one. Like you need to go and read his posts. Um, what I did was just a few words on each one. So it was just a simple list. 
Um, so it was really cool. You should definitely check those out. Um, and Tro- Troy's a good guy. I've uh, interacted with him a couple times and uh, working with him on this IoT security project stuff. So definitely check out his blog. It's uh, troyhunt.com. Uh, the stock market was attacked and taken down. Uh, Anonymous evidently ward- warned about it before it happened. I think this was like Friday of last week, something like that. Um, I, I haven't looked deeply into it and this whole attribution thing. I mean, I'd be cautious of saying anything anyway, but it looks suspicious to me. It looks like it probably was an external actor who did it. Um, had this Chinese stock market stuff going on at the same time. Not sure if that was related, but it was definitely a significant event because it's like uh, this theoretical world of what could happen is reaching out and starting to touch the real world more and more. Like with the OPM hack, um, the stock market, a couple other examples I'm probably not remembering, but yeah, it's, uh, it's getting real basically. Um, OPM hack goes to 21 and a half million records. Uh, the director basically stepped down. Um, I, I'm happy this person stepped down or got fired or whatever. I, honestly, I, I think people need to get fired at this point. Like no data at rest security, no encryption. Like they don't even have a list of their assets. If you're in charge of InfoSec and you have basically no controls like how do you even I, I, I just don't know what you could possibly be doing if you're not doing the basics um, I, I don't know maybe there's information that I don't have and it's a harder problem than I understand I, I don't know it, it just doesn't seem excusable to me and it seems like the only way we're going to get change is if these people start getting fired and there are serious repercussions for not doing your job. I mean, we're talking about 20, 21 and a half million people with their personal data now leaked out. Um, and the next story here, National Guard just get got popped as well, right? Massive data breach there. I don't think it was that big, but I mean, we're, we're being preyed upon in a very organized fashion. And people in charge don't have a list of the stuff they're protecting. I mean, that's, that's criminal, basically. Absolute insanity. Um, all right, so that, that's it for the news. A couple of pieces of commentary. Uh, I've had a couple of people reach out and say, hey, you know, when are you gonna do a post about Mr. Robot? Uh, so I figured I'd just talk about it here. I might do a post as well, but, so Mr. Robot, is a USA show, um, pretty unique. They've got some really cool marketing. They've got like a website that's just like a a command prompt and you can like type commands like who am I or whatever. Um, so that was pretty cool. And they also did a big spin up on YouTube for the first episode, which was like, I don't know, a month ago or a few weeks ago or whatever. But the first episode was pretty engaging. It's basically like a dystopian like conspiracy theory, like, you know, the rich are taking over, corporations are taking over, and we have to fight back against, like, um, advertising gone amok and, like, all, all these sorts of concepts that uh, 
anyone in the InfoSec community either believes or is familiar with. So it's a pretty cool show. Uh, the other thing that makes it really, really interesting, especially for the first episode, was that the writing is phenomenal, right? I saw a couple of flaws, like I saw an IP address with like an octet of like 347, which must have been like new type of IP because I think it only goes to 255, but um, a couple flaws, but it was just written really well. Like they're describing like, uh, like he found some guy that was like dealing with uh, some kind of nasty porn, right? And criminal stuff. And he like basically just blackmailed him, but turned him into the police. He actually didn't like extort him or anything. He just like dumped all his data and was having this interaction with him live inside of a diner. It was done really well. Um, and like all the tech pieces were 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 written really, really um, cleanly in, in a way that tells you that the consulting was definitely there. And the story was pretty good as well. I, I didn't like the second episode. Um, so people commented on the destruction scene being good, uh, right? A lot of spoilers here, by the way. You should probably not listen if, if you haven't seen it yet and you want to see it. But basically... Um, you know, they had the classic, like, you know, destruction scene, uh, like this book series that uh, read a while back with, like, Theodore and a couple people talking about how you would actually hack and how you would keep a safe house and all this stuff. Anyway, they went through a scene where, like, he was worried and, like, he drilled a bunch of hard drives and, you know, microwaved uh, circuit boards and all, all kinds of stuff. And that was pretty cool, but what really disturbed me about the scene was it like it seemed to sacrifice reality because the guy was just hacking, doing some rudimentary basic hacking, like against someone who he must have been doing it from his own IP. He must have not been proxying, uh, crossing any jurisdictions, not, not doing any sort of anonymization. Uh, for his behavior because he's like oh yeah I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that oh maybe they knew I was gonna do this because that was too easy which means now they know where I am and now I'm in trouble so he assumed that they were about to come to his apartment so that's why you he he blew up all his stuff and I'm like why would they assume exactly who you are and where you are and they're about to come to your apartment, so you immediately jump up and nuke all your stuff if you weren't doing it from your own IP address, right? If you were hopped around and bounced and defended the way you're supposed to be, your apartment should be safe. So I, I think he was probably hacking from his own IP address, um, which just completely nullifies the microwaving of your circuit boards. Like th those are two types of behavior that don't mix well. Um, I haven't seen the third episode. I heard it was also kind of hit or miss, but um, anyway, it's a cool show. I mean, it's def definitely uh, cool for InfoSec, e even if it's bad writing in some places. Um, it's still cool just to see a semi-realistic interpretation of the technologies so definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it and uh you're into infosec which 
I assume you are if you're listening to this. So next piece of commentary, um, Splunk just bought a company called Caspida. Caspida. I feel like there's a much better pronunciation that I'm not grasping. Um, Caspida. I, I have no idea. Something like that. And um, the idea is, well, obviously, Splunk just collects data in, right? And this thing is supposed to look at the data and tell you about threats in your network. And what got me thinking is it reminded me of my RSA post where, uh, you know, I come off the RSA floor and I say, here are the trends that I saw uh, where I see InfoSec going based on the vendors that are there. And one of the things that I saw uh, this year at RSA was basically all these people talking about building data lakes for you. They're just like, you, take, you look at one vendor and they're like, yeah, give me all your data. I want all your PCAPs. I want all your logs. I want all your events. I want everything. They're like, all right, I guess, well, I can give you all that stuff. They're like, yeah, then we're going to analyze it. Then we're going to tell you something cool. And you're like, all right, that's cool. That's a good model. And then you take like half a step to the right and it's another vendor. They're like, send us everything. Send us all your logs. I need every event. I need every packet. I need every net flow. I need everything. Then we're going to look at the data and we're going to tell you something cool. I'm like, oh, okay. And you take another step over and they want to do the exact same thing. It's like, how many vendors do I need to send the exact same data to, right? So here you have Splunk. They got a bunch of data and they're like, yeah, we're going to look at that data using this new company and tell you something cool. And I'm like, I think we're seeing a trend here, right? In the future, companies are just going to have one data lake. They're going to have this one massive data lake, right? And it might be have some partitions or whatever. You got your security stuff over there. But really, what is security data different than event data or IT data? Like, it's all the same, right? So you're going to have one data lake. The key distinction or, or feature for this data lake is the fact that you can give granular access to certain types of events protected by auth. So imagine little hoses or little spigots. And then um, when you have a security vendor, security vendor comes in and they're like, yeah, I don't need your data. You already have all your data. I need a spigot that gives, you, that gives me these 15 event types from your entire org then I will apply my algorithm and then I will send my results to your dashboard. So here's what's crazy. The internal company, they have their own data lake. The internal company, they have their own dashboard. Right? They're using whatever, Archer, ArcSight, Splunk, whatever they're using. They have their own interface. Maybe they built their own. or Maybe there's a new standard or whatever. It's not any of those or open source, whatever. <clears throat> but people aren't going to want 200 different data lakes from 200 different vendors. They're also not going to want 200 different GUIs and UIs and dashboards. That's going to get standardized. But they will want 200 different algorithms if they're cool enough and unique enough to provide some kind of special value, which means the future of InfoSec companies 
seems to be algorithm secret sauce, looking at giant data lakes and then sending that data or that analysis to some sort of data visualization uh, system, which will probably be standardized and not be part of their secret sauce. So um, the other cool trend, which goes along with this, is I saw a whole bunch of business analytics companies um, at uh, RSA, right? And I'm like, business analytics, what are you guys doing here? They're like, hey, we take data and we look at it and then we tell you if there's something cool. I'm like, man, that sounds super familiar because that's like business or that's like security intelligence. They're like, yeah, we're doing security intelligence because we do business intelligence. I'm like, what's the difference? They're like, well, with security, we look at security events and then we tell you if there's something cool. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm feeling you on this, right? So I feel like it's all kind of collapsing down, turning into that lake analysis and then visualization. With the lake and the visualization being commoditized and standardized. And then if you're a security company in the future, you basically have an algorithm and that's kind of your, that's your business, that's your company. All right, next piece of analysis here is um, on, I saw something on Hacker News, uh, Y Combinator site, talking about securing web session IDs. And it's very late here. It's like three in the morning. So maybe I'm, I don't know, dehydrated and hallucinating. But they're like, hey, yeah, you need to really secure your web session IDs. So what you need to do is not just make a really strong session ID, but you also have to hash that session ID with a separate secret and create a separate hash. Now, now you have a session ID and now you have a hash over here, and then you presumably look at both of them. And I'm like, hold on, hashing, okay, you're saying a lot of words that sound cool, right? Hashing sounds cool and you know pseudo random generators and all those things sound cool what why don't we just take and combine the ideas though right we already have frameworks with good uh systems for building you know random tokens for a session id if you're talking about using a secret in order to build this thing we already have a mechanism for checking whether or not the session ID is valid. I mean, that's how we're, you know, after authentication, we're assuming, we're allowing people into the app if they have a valid session ID. So you're checking against a whitelist, right? Um, well, why not simply incorporate the, uh, the secret portion into the creation of the session ID, right? Um, I mean, if the idea is that you you can't uh, steal and replay, right? Why not just incorporate it in? I mean, I, I'm not sure what we're even getting from that, right? If you're incorporating a secret into the process, what are you defending against? Are you defending against replay? I'm not sure how we're defending against replay. So 
don't know. It was, uh, I got his name here, Aaron Hammer. Um, I think ultimately you need additional controls on top of this for, for it to even matter, right? If you have a secret involved, that's fine. Like, and obviously you have to have a strong token strength as well. But if the idea is to pre pre prevent against brute force, well, simply having a strong token generation uh, algorithm is going to help you there. And incorporating a secret isn't necessarily going to help it be less brute forcible. Uh, well, what it can do is make sure that the person who created it was legit, but the client isn't creating that session ID. It's the server side. So I guess I was just confused about what their approach was. Um, if you search uh, Y Combinator for securing web session IDs, maybe you can, uh, I don't know, send me an email and tell me how silly I am for not getting the simple concept, um, which could be possible, but I think it's more likely that um, they're just confused. Um, but again, it is 3 a.m. All right, well, that is it for this episode. Um, and if you have any comments about uh, whatever, uh, Mr. Robot or any of these news articles or whatever, just uh, hit me up on uh, the Twitters or, um, or on the emails. See you next time.